we are live from the empire of lies, a bastion of truth, free speech, and open debate in the vast wasteland that is the bright, shiny new world order. Enjoy it. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. Hey, Rod, how you doing today? I'm doing well, Lee. Can't complain. How about yourself? I'm great. I figured out something. You know what the big breaking news story is right now? Did you see? The most uh, important thing in the world right now. It just no. broke. Brittany Griner. Did you see this? Uh, is there any movement on her case? Yes. The Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, is personally getting involved and is going to be meeting with Lavrov. He's avoided meeting with Lavrov over, you know, world peace and the economy. But he's going to meet with her, him, he's going to meet with Lavrov over Brittany, over her. Does it make sense, Rod? This is, I'm not making this up. The Secretary of the United States is going to meet with Lavrov over Brittany Griner. And I figured out yeah. why. Go, go ahead, tell me. Because it doesn't make any sense. Why would they care about this one basketball player, right? What they're doing is they're working on a prisoner swap for Brittany and some Russians. They're working on a prisoner swap. That's my Blinken is going to meet with Lavrov. But they stuck in the story about it. And it's subtle, but if you read it, you can find it. Do you know who else will be trading? That guy, Paul Whelan. Remember the guy who's supposedly a CIA agent? He'd be part of the prisoner swap as well. Right. So do you see what's going on here, really? Brittany yeah. is bait. Brittany is someone who the public will care about. The public did not care about Paul Whelan because he's probably a spook. Does it make sense? They go, well, he's probably a spy. And so the U.S. didn't want to push it that much. But now with Brittany Griner, they have someone appealing to some, to at least some demographic. Does that make sense? So this yeah, is all really a game to get back to the CIA guy. It's not about Brittany. Make sense? Yeah. Yeah, Lee, I, I was I was seeing where you were going with this, and I, uh, I wanted to mention if you know uh, the other the prisoner swap, who's getting also involved is this guy named Victor Boot, um, and he's a uh, Russian arms dealer, and uh, they actually made a movie about him. Uh, I think the uh, the Lords of War uh, with Nicolas Cage, and he's uh, he's like it's pretty much around his surrounding his story. Well, if it's Nick Cage, it's got to be good. He's one of my favorite actors. And he, he picked weird roles. It was probably a weird role, right? Did he get to have a weird accent or something? No, no. He had a regular accent. Yeah, the movie's old. The movie's old. It's already 10, over 10 plus years old. Yeah, Nick Cage often would pick a role because he got to do a weird accent or he got to have bizarre hair. Look at Raising Arizona. His hair is comical. But let's talk about the guests we got on the show today. Because there's other news. The economic numbers are out. But I figured out that Brittany Griner thing. 
and I'm pretty proud of my deductive work there. What do you say, Rod? Because I couldn't figure out the whole time why so much focus was being given to the Brittany Griner story. But really, it's just Brittany Griner is a beard for Paul Whelan. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, 100% leave. So we got a great show today. First hour, Sonia Van Den Enhan. I always get her name wrong. She's she's got one of those Dutch names that has a lot of parts to it. Sonia Van Den End. And she's with us. She's been on the show before, and she's been in places like Mariupol. She's been covering the war in Ukraine. She's not in Ukraine now. I guess she's back in the Netherlands. But she's been covering stuff in Ukraine recently, right, Rod? Yeah, that's correctly. She was over, she was just there a week and a half ago, and um, so she could kind of do double duty because she's back in the Netherlands, and she's I, I believe I saw on her Telegram she was uh, covering the uh, Dutch farmers leaving manure and hay on the roads. The highways. That's good because we'll definitely want to talk to her about that too. We'll t- be talking to Sonia in the first hour, and the second hour, great friend of the show, very smart analyst. Daniel Czar is on the backstory. That's right, Rod? Correct. Okay, so Rod, if you would do us the honors and take us to the boom, let's talk about the economic news. You're listening to the best show on the radio, The Backstory. Well done. Now, the economic news is that the numbers we're expecting today came out. First off, the GDP numbers. The GDP is lower. I'm seeing 1.5% than last quarter. And last quarter was lower than the quarter before this. Now, that seems like it's two straight quarters of GDP shrinkage. Does that make sense, Rod? It makes sense to uh, rational people, so yeah. And I'm no economist, but two quarters of GDP shrinkage, I understand. I looked it up. I asked Siri. Siri told me. My computer said two two straight quarters of GDP falling is recession, except for the Biden administration. They're going to be dragged kicking and screaming into this or into admitting it. But... The other thing that happened was the Fed raised interest rates. Now, whenever they raise interest rates and the financial markets freak out, it always seems like overly small numbers. So they raised it by three quarters of a point. Rod, be honest. Does three quarters of a point in interest hike strike you as something to freak out about? It seems to me three quarters of a point, less than a point, it's, it always seems like this with these Fed numbers. It doesn't seem like that big a deal, but it is. Am I alone in this, Rod? No, I I, uh, I would say it is a, a somewhat of a big deal. Not necessarily the uh, 0.75, but it's just that it keeps going. They're doing this, uh, what, every other month now, right? Apparently, yeah. Yeah, they're doing it a lot. And so, yeah, so it's, this is going to keep it's going to keep happening. But th- this, you know, it's seldom you say 
three quarters of a point is a dramatic increase, but it is in the context of what the Fed does, right? Yeah, yeah, it affects it affects uh, everyday everyday people, you know, especially on things like uh, the mortgage and things like that. So I would tell the Biden administration that's another the fact that the Fed is now doing what the Fed would do if there were a recession. Does it make sense, Rod? Pretend the Fed are smart. Pretend the Fed knows a recession when they see one, even though the Biden administration doesn't see it. The Fed does. Is that logical, Rod? My detective powers up to speed. Yeah, and I'm seeing uh, news that the uh, the Democrats and Elizabeth Warren are going to go after Jerome Powell for doing this. So it's a uh, some somewhat of a, a little war going on. That's going to go well. I'm sure. I'm sure that's going to go well. See, what I don't understand. I said this yesterday. Who are they trying to fool? It's logical if they're trying to fool people, it would be people who know the financial markets, people who invest a lot of money, or people who run businesses. They don't want them panicking, right, and leaving the market. It makes sense. They would not want them to panic. But they're the people who are fooled the least by this. Does that make sense? The Biden administration is fooling people who are financially ignorant. And I don't understand that at all. What's the logic behind that? Let's make people panic more. Because if I, if I knew finance, apparently, I'd really be panicking. Because I'd be saying the Biden administration is not even acknowledging the problem. Does that make sense, Rod? They're frightening the wrong people. Yeah, and I've also I just saw a report uh, today, uh, uh, article on Consumer Report, and that you know uh, that pretty much the, the U.S. population's tapped out. There's nothing more to give. And there's also energy news because Russia's been doing this thing with your Germany and the Nord Stream turbine. You've heard about that. Well, apparently the turbine's back, and Russia's still cutting the oil going to Germany. And this is what Germany was afraid of. But Germany's been talking a big game. They've been saying that they can be independent of Russian natural gas. You've heard Germany yapping about that, right? They've been acting arrogant, like, oh, we don't need Russian natural gas. But it turns out that they do. And the latest country, they've periodically they've said, well, we're saved, Azerbaijan is going to supply the natural gas, and it never works out. Have you heard of the latest fall guy for Germany? It's Nigeria. Who knew Nigeria could supply all the natural gas Russia's been supplying? I don't think this is going to work out well. But Germany is in constant denial about this, and they're arrogant about it. They didn't have to be in this position. But they talk themselves into it by treating Russia as an adversary. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, uh, unfortunately for the German people, this is what they this is what they get for because of their leaders. And uh, I saw that they're going to start turning back on the uh, nuclear power plants, but I don't think that's a you know that's a long term thing because I don't think you can just shut these things off and then turn them back on just like that. Yeah, and also they're going to have problem because Harbeck. The uh, 
leader of the economy over there is a green. And the greens have policies, you know, they're not big in nuclear power. So for ideological reasons, they want to shut the nukes down. But in a contest between ideology and damn, it's cold in German, whatever the German phrase for Burr is, I don't know. I don't speak German freezing language, but it's going to be cold in Germany is my point. And given ideology or ach, it's cold, I think I know who's going to win that battle. I think it's cold wins. Do you agree, Rod? A thousand percent, Lee. That, you know, you're, like you said, your, your ideology is going to, that ideology is going to lose out once it's the winner hits. And we have Sonia on the line, so let's take a short break. And Sonia Vandenhan will be with us after this short break on The Backstory. Stranahan, and we're back on the backstory 105.5 FM AM 1390 on the radio in the Empire of Lies. Joining us now, Sonia Vanden End, a journalist who we've talked to before. She's been in Ukraine, and I understand, Sonia, you're in Holland now, correct? Uh, no, I'm in Moscow, still in Moscow, in Russia. Okay. I'm glad I asked. <laughs> yes. So, so have you been covering the events in the Netherlands at all? Yes, I uh, I can see it, uh, you know, online what is happening. I have some people there. And yes, it's a, a big thing, you know, with the farmers, what is going on. So the whole country is disrupted. Uh, like today, there was everywhere disruption on the roads, uh, fires, everything. So, yes, it's a big thing going on at the moment. So let's hope it will be bigger. Allow me to ask a stupid question about the Netherlands. Is Holland and the Netherlands used interchangeably? Can you call it either one? Is 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 it equally correct to say the Netherlands or Holland? Yes, you can. It's from the old days that Holland is the southern part of Holland and northern part of Holland, south and north Holland. But you can use it both ways. doesn't matter. Okay, because I actually, I have an easier time pronouncing Holland. And so I don't want to use that. And then uh, it turns out it's a big insult. No, no, no. Does that make sense? No, it's not at all. It's it's okay. Okay, You can use it uh, both ways. No problem. Now, so we'll talk about that in one second. But let's talk about what's been going on in Ukraine. So Ukraine, the, the country is making a fairly big deal of the fact that they're mounting an offensive in Kherson, in the Kherson region, and they've been attacking bridges over there. Have you been over to Kherson? And what do you think is going on with this? What's motivating Ukraine to do this? Because it doesn't seem to be strategic. I have my theory on what's driving Ukraine, but what's going on 
from what you see, Sonia? Well, I was in Gerston a few weeks ago, and there was nothing uh, there. Everything was yeah, fairly okay. And what they are doing is because there's a passageway in Gerston to uh, the Sea of Azov, and there is where the, the grain, uh, the ships are laying there. At the time I was there, uh, a lot of ships were mined, and the passageway also was mined from uh, the Ukrainian side. And now they have this grain deal, you can say. And I think they still don't want to let the ships go out and blame Russia. So, uh, you know, see, Russia is having bombing the whole lot there, and so we don't have the grain. So this is, I think, what is going on. Now... I think part of it, too, is that the Ukrainians need to start showing a victory. They need to start showing that they can retake land that Russia took from Ukraine because their country is putting in billions of dollars to them. And I think the populations of those countries and even the leaders are eventually going to say, what are we getting for our money? We're spending billions of dollars. What are we getting for it? Do you think the Ukrainians are under any international pressure to start showing they can have military victories and not just lose every time Russia? Yes, yeah, sure, because they are losing all the time. And uh, I see a lot of uh, videos from all uh, their uh, battalions of, of all the regiments. They are just, you know, giving up because they don't, they say that the motivation is not there anymore. And the weapons didn't arrive in time. Also that from uh, the US and from uh, EU. But of course, they, they have the pressure that they should uh, retake something because Russia is definitely winning. It's what I can see. They take uh, one town after the other. So this is the whole problem for uh, all the weapons that were sent, you know. And another problem is that when they vote on the referendum and when they vote to decide to join Russia, there will be video of happy people in that region, right, who are happy to rejoin Russia. And that completely goes against the narrative that the West has been feeding people. If you're at home watching mainstream media and you saw Ukrainians happy to rejoin Russia, that does not compute. Does that make sense? Of course. It's a complete contradiction. Mm -hmm. of yeah, course. go ahead, Sonia. Of course it makes sense. I was in Melitopol uh, one and a half weeks ago, and I spoke to the mayor, the interim mayor, uh, actually the spokesperson, but I know the interim mayor as well. And he was talking about this referendum, that on the 3rd of September there will be a referendum in Melitopol and the Oblast Saporizhia, uh, most likely also in Gerson. And uh, I asked him, what do you think the reaction will be from the EU? Because you know how they reacted when it was the thing with Crimea, the same. He said, he made it very clear. He said, I don't care. We care about the people here and the people want a referendum, the people, most people want to join uh, Russia and we don't care if they don't, if they do something, okay, we will have the great patriotic war and we can start it all over again. So they don't really care then. They, they go ahead with it and they're happy. And what I'm saying is the people who've been following the war from a distance, watching mainstream media, that so contradicts everything they've been told that they're going to start to ask questions about the war and wonder whether really we were 
on the Ukrainian people's side or whether we're on the side of so Zelensky's wife can be en vogue. Because it increasingly seems to a lot of people in the West, like you saw the Vogue shoot, right? You saw Zelensky's wife is in Vogue magazine, correct, Sonia? Yes, it's disgusting because, you know, a lot of people are shot dead, they're wounded, lost their houses, their family, and she is in folk. I mean, it's it's, it's just plain disgusting. They're, they're like a bunch of actors, you know, because he was also, Zelensky, also in the picture somewhere. It's disgusting what they do, really disgusting. It's no empathy towards their, actually their own people if they want to say, you know, Eastern Ukraine is also Ukraine. So they have their own people and these people are killed every day. So it's it's disgusting what they do, really. Now, before this war started, before the invasion, Zelensky's approval rating was in the 30s. He was not a popular leader in the country at the time. Is that what mm-hmm. your understanding is? Yes, and uh, they made him uh, look good, you know, when uh, they say the war had started, what Russia is still saying, and it still is a special operation. They make him like a movie star. And, you know, I don't believe the ratings anyhow, because, you know, they can manipulate everything these days through computers online and so on. So, yes, of course, he's, he's not very loved, especially not in eastern Ukraine, of course. So, no, it's... Uh, Yeah, it's plain ridiculous. Now let's turn to what's happening in Holland. So the farmers in Holland are continuing their protests, and they've been joined in solidarity by farmers from Germany and Spain, I understand. Yes. Is that correct? That's correct. Even uh, Canada, I believe, and some parts maybe in the U.S., I don't know about that, but yes, they uh, they were joined, especially Germany, that's the border country, so that's I heard that yeah, a lot of solidarity. And is Germany supplied food by Holland? Is Holland a big food exporter for countries in that region? It's the second exporter in the region, in the EU, especially uh, meat and uh, milk. So the second largest. So it's quite big. Yes. So it would really, it's going to affect, they're, they're on schedule to have a very bad winter in Germany. Cold weather and no food and no gas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, do you see? Yeah, go go ahead, Sonia. Yeah, it's it's all their own own mistake. They are having this great idea of the Green New Deal, uh, the Great Reset. They are playing crazy. There are the Greens there in Germany who, is, who all think about this. I mean, they destroyed the whole German industry that has been built up after the Second World War or even before that, a long time before that. And they're going to destroy the Netherlands now because uh, now 50% of the farmers have to close their farm. Uh, but maybe in the end, it's 95% which has closed their farms. Imagine this, 95%. I mean, only 5% will survive. So where is the food coming from? And with the gas, where is the warmth coming from? So I hope the people finally wake up in the Netherlands, Germany, that they have a regime there that is crazy. They don't care about people. They are, you know, warmongers now, and it's... it's it's really horrible what they do, but it's it's to the people. They have to wake up. Well, it seems like they are. How popular are the 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 farmers' protests? Are people mad because it's shutting down traffic, or are they supportive of the farmers? 
Well, I can see now that they are supporting the farmers because they a lot of people start realizing that this is so wrong what they are doing, you know, because they do it not they just buy them off with maybe a fraction of what they their loans are with the bank. So imagine this, what the, the they are bankrupt uh, for the rest of their lives. It's it's horrible. So I think the majority of the people now are in support of the farmers because they realize that if their supermarkets are not having all these vegetables and fresh meat and so on, yeah, well they don't have any food. So what to do? This so slowly but surely they are realizing this. Now what are the farmers' demands? At this point, what do the Dutch farmers want? They want, uh, of course, they want to keep on farming. That is their priority. Uh, but if there is a problem with the nitrogen, what they say, they want to have a, a solid, uh, through a, they want to have a solid uh, reporting about, about what is really the problem. Because a lot of people say it's just fake, you know, this nitrogen problem. So they want to keep on farming. They want to at least be heard because the government is not speaking with them. They just go ahead with their plans and nobody is talking to them. So this is what their demands are now. They first want to speak with the government and they want a good explanation why they are doing this. Now, do you think it's fair to say that in a sense, the leader of, I forget who it was, I think it was Orban in Hungary, said that negotiation is not possible between Russia and Ukraine. What has to happen is Russia and the U.S. have to well, negotiate because I, he sees it as a proxy war. Did, did, you, did you you hear that recently? Was that Orban? Mm -hmm, yeah, that's Orban. Uh, you said that. And, uh, yeah, I think he is right because it, it is a proxy war. It's uh, There's no negotiation, not at all. It's not possible. It's not possible with the EU. It's not possible with Ukraine. And it's not possible with the US. So it's a proxy war from uh, NATO and uh, US. It's, it's, he is right. Yes, I heard it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tie it into something else that ties it right back to the Dutch farmers. <laughs> I think that, in fact... This is a proxy war between Russia and the New World Order, between the Davos crowd. I think this is a proxy war that's going on in Ukraine between Russia and the forces that demanded, for instance, the shutdown over the environment that led to the Dutch protests. Do you see that? It's not about a country specifically. It's about a philosophy, a philosophy of ruling through yeah. the new world order. Does that make sense? Mm, totally, because uh, this is what I hear here too. Because you know, as you know, I'm in Moscow. I'm not able to go to my own country because you know I'm on several lists now. So, but this is what uh, yes, this is what I hear here. It's what the people uh, say. It's, it's, you know, the elites. And also, when you listen good to the Russian government, it's what Lavrov said this week, that they want to invade well, maybe the whole of Ukraine. But it's actually what it is. It's to wipe out the elites who are behind this plan. Because it's a plan, you know. It's the Great Reset, the Green New Deal. And Russia maybe went along a little bit a few years ago, but they stepped out and they realized that this is uh, something they cannot go along with. And... Yeah, it's like 
became a little bit their enemy in a little bit. They became their enemy. And the, it's the elite, the World Economic Forum. It's uh, the DAVO, what you said, the World Economic Forum. This is their, this is the problem. This is their enemy with their crazy plans. And as you, we're used to thinking of nations as, as adversaries, but this is a non-state actor. In a sense, this is above states, right? The New World Order is, mm-hmm. in a sense, bigger than any state because it's a coalition across the leadership of these states. Not so much the people. The people do not want this. It's obvious. But the leaders of all these countries do. That's what the G7 is about. That's what Davos is about. Do you agree, Sonia? Yes, I agree. I agree. And it's what I wrote a few years back already. We are not ruled by our leaders anymore. We are ruled by like the World Economic Forum, like the big multinationals. We are ruled by them. This is the, what they call all the time the shadow government or uh, the deep state. And this is these are the rulers and they are the politicians are bought by them. They are just the puppets who you know, implement their plans. And this is what they are doing. Yes. And I think that some people who were initially fooled by the war, because a lot of people in, in my country, in America, and by the way, I'm guilty of this too. Most people know absolutely nothing about Ukraine. I didn't know much about Ukraine until about six years ago. And I had to study up on it. And so when I heard Putin talking about Ukrainian Nazis, I knew exactly what he's talking about private sector, Svoboda, and so on. The political parties, which are explicitly Banderites. But most people in America didn't know anything about Ukrainian Nazis. And so when they heard Putin talk about Ukrainian Nazis, it sounded like he'd gone nuts. What's he talking about? There's no Ukrainian Nazis. Do you think most people are ignorant of the real history in Ukraine? Oh, yes. It's, uh, it's the same in Europe as in uh, the U.S. I mean, people think Nazis, you know, that's something from the Second World War. And why is he saying this crazy? There are no Nazis these days. And But I know because I was in uh, Ukraine, uh, in Odessa myself in uh, 2016, 2017. I saw the Pravdi sector, Svoboda, and I saw them marching in the street there. And so, yeah, it's real. I try to write about it, but unfortunately, the mainstream media is deaf and the mainstream media is not reporting about this. So the people are ignorant. They don't know anything because some people don't even know there's a war going on since 2014 in the Donbass. So, I mean, the people are totally ignorant and sometimes I cannot blame them because you cannot sit all day, all evening at the media and try to find out what is really going on. So... Yeah, it's it's a lot of guilt is with the mainstream media and of course the politicians. But yes, it's unfortunately like that. There's a lot of propaganda, you know. And you've seen you you talk about being obsessed with World War Two. I think you've seen yourself. Haven't you seen that some of the places, the command centers of the Ukrainian forces, like. They had Nazi memorabilia from World War II. They were obsessed with World War II. A lot of these Ukrainians have their collectors of World War II memorabilia from the actual Nazis. Is that correct? That's correct. I was in the, in the headquarters in Mariupol, 
Uh, we found a lot of things from World War II, Nazi ideology. We saw Mein Kampf there, uh, SS signs, you know, this this stuff. And also I was in the Azov Steel Factory, same same idea. The, I was in the first level of the bunker, you can say, and it was the same thing. They're all propaganda, booklets, uh, Mein Kampf again. You saw them on pictures with SS uh, sign. Uh, so yes, of course, they, they, they are neo-Nazis. They, and, you know, when they came out of the Azov Steel Factory, when they, the Russians asked them to take off their shirts because they had all these tattoos, and you could see Hitler was on them, SS signs, and so on. So yeah, they're, they're really they're Nazis. Yes, and, and they're the ones that are obsessed with World War II. Because, again, when you're collecting Nazi memorabilia to have around your bunker, I call that obsessed. Mm-hmm. So there are people who are obsessed with World War II, but it's not the Russians. Of course not. This is what they're trying to say in the West, you know. They're trying to say uh, that uh, Russia is a fascist and country embracing Nazism, but it's the opposite. It's, it's countries like Ukraine, Lithuania. They're the ones who this Nazi ideology is very strong because their forefathers had uh, all these regiments. Uh, they uh, served in the German army under several SS battalions. And they brought it over. I think it's in, it was in the, during the communist time. Maybe they they brought it up. They brought it to their sons, and this is what is going on for years and years. So they have this ideology still in there. Now, do you think? Where do you think this is going to end? What's your own prediction about where and when this conflict will end? When will it? What will it take for Ukraine to lay down their arms, Sonia? Well, it's a difficult question. I think that uh, Russia, as what Lavrov uh, said this week, uh, that they are now going for the whole of Ukraine because Poland has its aspirations to uh, to get the western part of Ukraine with Lvov and Kiev. But uh, if it keeps on going this way as it is going now, we clearly can see that Ukrainian, not Ukrainian army, yeah, the proxy, is, is, they are losing but I think if, yeah, I, I I hope not, but I think that my idea is that it will go on for a long time, the war. That's what they call the war there, because they declared war, not Russia. Not Russia. And they will, uh, yeah, if Russia has to go, they, has, they will fight. And I, I think it's not finished very quickly. Even if Ukraine lay down their arms, I think it's not going to happen that they will lay down their arms. I think we have to watch out for Poland a lot because they are very dangerous. What do you think Poland wants? Uh, do you think it wants some of the lands currently Ukraine? Yeah, they want Western Ukraine. They already, what I heard, made a deal with uh, the U.S. that they will get the Western part of Ukraine. So, yeah, playing crazy, of course. It's like Second World War or First World War when they divided, the, you know, the countries all in Europe. This is what Hitler did as well. So it's, it's a very dangerous situation, very dangerous. And I hope it will finish good. But, you know, all the biolabs in Ukraine, maybe they have nuclear weapons as well. Nobody knows. They were trying to get them. This is why Russia uh, also uh, speeded up their uh, special operation in the beginning. So let's hope they don't have them or they will not get them because then it will be uh, yeah, very terrible. I think they're realizing... PR-wise, they're in a different phase because they're starting to pull out Zelensky's wife. 
I, I talked about her Vogue shoot, and that's famous. But the other thing was she made a speech to U.S. Congress, and in that speech, she's begging for weapons. So the new person they have begging for weapons is Zelensky's wife. And I'm seeing they're turning focus to her because I think they're getting ready for people are getting tired of Zelensky. That's my sense of the way the PR game is playing out in the U.S. Do you get any sense that a lot of the people are getting sick of Vladimir Zelensky? Yeah, I think so. I think in Europe as well, because, you know, he was in all the European parliaments again, also like she did now, begging for weapons all the time. But uh, uh, I, the European country said they would deliver, but, you know, there was a lot of delay and delay. And I think now finally they have them also the Himars from uh, the US, by the way. But I think they get a little bit tired of him because, you know, he's like a yeah, puppet. <laughs> And he's like a clown, actually, he had to stay an actor. But people will see through it now that, you know, it's it's not really yeah, a good leader, maybe. It's not really a fantastic guy who is there. So maybe, yes, as an offensive, they, they sent his wife to uh, the U.S. Congress. I don't know. Probably. Maybe she will uh, ask for uh, nuclear weapons or whatever or whatever. I think, yeah. Yeah, well, it seems to me that she's been showing up in the media a lot more lately with the Vogue shoot and with her appearing in front of Congress. And that's an effort because I'm seeing worldwide a lot of governments, they're not quite there yet, but they're, the problem for Ukraine is their entire economy is subsidized by the West. And people in the West are starting to have their own problems and are not going to be able to send Ukraine billions. Talk about the Ukrainian economy. What's it like? You've been over there. Is there a Ukrainian economy at all? Or is it just surviving the same economy as a bum on the street? There's no economy, right? Well, there's no economy beside the war when a lot of things are destroyed. I visited some factories and you know, it's it's like the Soviet times. When the Soviet times ended, there was nothing has been done to these factories, to the roads, infrastructure. It's the same like in 1989, 1991. Nothing has been done. When you look in, when you come into these factories, it's really sad. You see people working there under, well, conditions like 30, 40 years ago, and they didn't modernize anything. So it's up to... Russia now, if they really want to join Russia, that they are modernizing their factories, their shops, their houses, because their houses look terrible, really. So there's no economy. And the EU has uh, said they will give they gave money to uh, Ukraine to build up their country. Well, that's not what they did. They only put their uh, cheap uh, factories there, so they have cheap uh, laborers there. This is what they did, nothing more. But it's uh, there's no economy. So, Sonia Van Den End, if people want to read your writing, where can they go to read more of your stuff? Uh, COVID Action Magazine. I have uh, a few of articles there. Global Research, uh, One World, and a few Dutch ones. But, okay, that's maybe hard for uh, people in the U.S. But COVID Action Magazine, One World, and Global Research. And Teheran Times, but that's, okay, that's about the Middle East. So that's why I can be, uh, they can read my articles. 
and I have a YouTube channel. And we appreciate your reporting and your analysis. Thanks so much, Shonya. Thank you very much. Let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll talk to Rod, and we'll take your call, 202-521-1320, here on The Backstory. Backstory, 105.5 FM, AM 1390, on the radio in D.C., and all over the Internet. If Rod was there, I want to talk to you in a second. But let's go to 202-521-1320. Ingrid from D.C., what is on your mind? Thanks for taking my call. You and Sonia were talking about reliving World War II. Well, yesterday, or the day before, you had or last week, Tyler Nixon on, and he was speaking about the, the false sense of reality that Americans have about a lot of things. But he inadvertently repeated a trope that's part of that false sense, and that was that the United States had won World War II. And um, they didn't. They were, they were on the winning team, but they weren't the major players. And, and that's really set up a lot of this exceptionalism is the a false portrayal of the U.S. role in that. Yeah, and Caleb Mopin on uh, RT did a great report on that a few years ago about how Russia, the Soviet Union, the USSR was really who won World War II. Is that what you're getting at, right, Ingrid? That is correct. <laughs> and it's just factual. It, that's just a matter of fact. But one wide topic we've been talking about and fits into that is how much we are in an age of PR myths. Myths that are created. And I, I, it's beyond propaganda, even. It's almost an alternate reality. And that's what I'm getting at. Part of the alternate reality now is, I would say, Rod, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Thanks for the call, Ingrid. Rod, let me run something by you. I would say, I'm, I'm going to state this, and I probably don't agree with it in the extreme, but in a sense, nationalities are over. Is not really a nationality issue. This is not really the U.S. versus Russia versus Ukraine or countries. It's really the unelected, I would say the unelected leaders have more power than the elected leaders. And the unelected leaders at, that you see at places like the Fed or the WEF have more power than the political leaders today. Do you agree with that? Yeah, no, I definitely would agree with that, Lee. And, um, uh, you know, we haven't really covered or talked about it, but, you know, the uh, Aspen Institute had their uh, meeting recently, and um, there was a clip that Tucker... No, I'm, I'm sorry, it wasn't Tucker, but Fox was playing of... Uh, uh, one of the congressmen from Colorado was talking about how our DNA gets collected and how our DNA is going to be used. And, you know, we have no oversight over that. We haven't... That's 
again, that's like you say, unelected people who are uh, are going to have our information, our DNA, this, that, and the third, and we have no elected officials that we put in power that they would put anything like that, any guardrails or anything like that. Yes, and I think it's important to identify the right enemy. And the right enemy is not, traditionally it's been the, what country. Like in World War II, it's like Germany is a problem. But we don't live in that world anymore. That world is long gone. The world is run by essentially PR outfits, public relations outfits. Davos, in a sense, is just a PR outfit. You see what I'm saying? But it's not so much that they make the decisions at Davos or, or vote on things. The decisions were made before they got to Davos. They know what they're doing. Davos is a PR event. Does that make sense? That's why oh, there's yeah. so many oh, yeah, reporters at, at Davos. Yeah, 100%. Lee, that's just, mar- that's just the marketing downstream, wouldn't you say? That's just, you know... How they yes. put out their ide- our ideas, like eating bugs. Uh, I've read about that like over ten years ago, and here we are. They keep pushing it, like you know, we need to get away from meat and start eating bugs. And I predict that's not going to go over well, because people don't like the idea of eating bugs. Sorry, in Western cultures, that's not done. That's you yell at your kids if they're doing that. If your kids are eating bugs, you go stop it. You don't go. Good job, Johnny. Right? You don't encourage bug eating, do you, Rod? Uh, no, Lee. Uh, I, I like a nice little juice, uh, juicy steak, so uh, I don't know what kind of bug you'd be like, oh, I'd like a nice juicy caterpillar or a uh, snail or something like that. It doesn't doesn't correlate. Crickets. That's what I hear about. I hear a lot about crickets. Because the grocery store, the, the co-op down the street from me in Alexandria carried, they had cricket candy bars and they had cricket you know bins of crickets out have you ever been to a grocery store with crickets rod yeah i've heard yeah i've heard of the like you know they'll uh do the spicy crickets and stuff like that they'll they'll dry them out and uh well i heard it has it does you know um provide some protein but that's kind of like a survivalist thing to me i would say you know lee like if me and you were if we were camping and they're like hey our food's run out and our, you know, we need to start eating something else. We get some crickets or something. But I don't think uh, you, you think of crickets. You gonna eat some crickets tonight, Lee? <laughs> no, I'm not. But thank you. No, I have uh, some pasta sauce and uh, some chicken drumsticks. Now, some people might find the idea of eating the drumsticks of chickens to be equally offensive. You, you know what I ate? Speaking of Holland. You know what I ate when I was over in Holland a few years ago is horse. Have you ever eaten horse, Rod? Uh, no, I've heard that they eat horse in Italy, though. Yes, and I had it in Holland. The deli, they had horse meat listed. And so I figured, what the hell? Try it. I didn't care for it. It was a little, little gamey. But maybe... Ja- the Japanese have better horse or something. Kobe horse. Does that does that sound any better than Dutch horse to you, Rod? Uh, no, Lee. I stick to to, to uh, venison. So I'll I'll do some deer, but I won't go up to the to the horse. Yeah, 
And uh, of course, you know, in many Asian cultures, they eat dogs and cats. I won't say many. I don't know many. And I don't know how popular it is, but they definitely do eat dogs and cats. Right? That's not a myth. Uh, actually, in, in Philly, they, they found a, uh, a bag with a, uh, with a cat in it outside of a Chinese restaurant, and it went kind of viral. So, yeah, it's funny you bring that up. So that's like the worst Yelp review ever, Rod. Congratulations. When, when the Yelp review says, this restaurant was good aside from the bag of cats outside, that's not good, is it? Not a ringing endorsement. I'm pretty sure people still ate there that night. You know what I mean? It's possible, depending on how the portions were. Sure, there's cat, but such portions, there's so much. You get a lot of food for your money. Any takers, Rod? You you going out to eat at restaurant to cat? No, no, I'm 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 good on that, Lee. No, no feline and no canine on my plate. Okay, I won't try to talk you into it, but. I'm going to say that it's usual to think of nations as adversaries, but now we've got something. See, this is where I think a lot of people wouldn't see how the Ukrainian war ties directly in to what's going on in Holland. I'd say a lot of people miss that. Command Central, what did you say? Thank you. Do you see that, Rod? But because of the stuff I've covered, I see them as exactly the same adversary. Do you see it that way? Oh, yeah. In the grand scheme of things, uh, of course, Lee, um, I think, uh, you know, everyday people, people who care about family and uh, uh, like you, like we've talked about last week, sovereignty of themselves and, uh, you know, their own land. I think uh, a lot of people would agree that we're on a war with something bigger than just, uh, like you said, nations. We're, we're, we're these unelected bureaucrats, these shadow governments, these people who have set up governments outside of the established government that uh, people get voted in, in and out. So, yeah, uh, I think we definitely are on the same page of seeing wh who our real enemy is. And I'll tell you, tell you who I want to talk about next, and we'll do this at the top of the hour. Do you know the name Brian Otten? Mm, no, I don't think I don't think so. Brian Otten was an FBI agent. I, I think he still is. And he was the one who verified the Steele dossier. He was at the FBI. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And he yeah. verified the Steele dossier. Good job, right? Yeah, but he, he he's doubled up now. It's come, it's come out that he's doubled up on his uh, good job. He's done even a better job. Right. He was the one who said that the Hunter Biden laptop story was Russian disinformation. I would say after verifying the Steele dossier, he shouldn't be near any investigation involving Russia. But I'm going to argue that he's doing exactly his job. If you think his job is law enforcement protecting the American people and bringing the truth, I would say that is not his job. Would you say, would you say so, Rod? No, I, I agree with you, Lee. He, did, he has done his job 100%. He gets A-plus for putting out uh, fake information and, and uh covering up for Hunter Biden and this Russiagate uh, hoax. And what he's done is in some ways criminal because I think the Hunter Biden laptop story 
showed evidence of a crime committed by Joe Biden. We'll talk about that and more next on The Backstory. live from the empire of lies where we are an oasis of truth free speech and open debate i'm lee stranahan and this is the backstory our guest this hour will be daniel czar and we'll be talking about a lot of stuff going on foreign policy wise that's bizarre involving nancy pelosi that's a little weird with nancy pelosi doing foreign policy Right, Rod? Uh, yeah, definitely. If you remember, uh, General Milley said that, uh, you know, they were scared that uh, Donald Trump was going to start a war with uh, with China on his way out. But uh, it seems like Nancy Pelosi's picking up that uh, torch. And no one seems afraid of her. But it's passe to say you're afraid of Donald Trump becoming a dictator. I would say that the dictatorship is already here. And we'll talk about it in regards to the Biden administration. Rod, what is the name of the show? You're listening to the best show on the radio, The Backstory. So the the Brian Naughton story, the FBI agent who is at the center of Russiagate and also Biden laptop gate. And the fact that he was, but but think about this. We talked about a story a couple of days ago that the Pulitzer Prize Committee gave an award. They did not take away the award for just getting the Russiagate story wrong, which tells you the Pulitzer Prize, when you win that prize, it does not mean you're the most honest journalist or you have gotten to the truth more than anybody else. It means that you play the PR game. Does it make sense, Rod? Yeah, they're the most establishment. That's what I would say. Yes. Most us. And, and what's going on here with the FBI? The FBI and Brian Otten, I would say it's not him. It's organizationally. The FBI's job is to confirm the narrative of the deep state. Would you agree? The FBI's job is to provide official confirmation of the narrative of the deep state. Oh, yeah, no, I would 100 percent agree, Lee. Um, the FBI is, I mean, can we point to anything? I mean, they do do some good, but overall they do way more uh, bad, in my uh, my opinion, you know, like Russiagate, um, you know, Antifa, they don't exist. They're not a problem. White nationalism is uh, the number one threat in America and so on. No, I've said before, prima facie evidence of Nancy Pelosi's corruption is the fact that she's worth upwards of $10 million. I would say on the basis of that, there should be congressional hearings. Do you see what I'm saying, Rod? Nancy Pelosi should be investigated just as soon as you hear she's got $10 million in the bank. Open investigation. Because I suspect top politician may have come through that through illicit means. 
Am I crazy, paranoid out of my head thinking that politicians, because what's their salary? It's like a couple hundred thousand a year. But what's your yeah, net worth? Exactly. Yeah, exactly, Lee. And I would I would say you they would never investigate someone like Nancy Pelosi, because if you remember during the 2020 election, we found out that her her, her son was involved with this. Uh, I believe it was one of the same uh, gas companies that uh Hunter Biden's involved in. So if you investigate Nancy Pelosi, it'll lead right back to Biden. And then also, uh, I think John Kerry's stepson's also involved. So it's, it's too right. much. It's too much. No, and it's it's obvious. I'll talk more about it in a second. But let's get the calls first. 202-521-1320. Tarif, thanks for waiting. What's on your mind today? Thank y'all for taking my call. I have full comments. First, I'd like to say free June sound. My first comment is this. Um, Zimbabwe, it seems like they don't go to a gold-back currency. That's good. Zimbabwe. My second comment is very important. The um, from a um, news site on Telegram, Chinese released something that um, the um, U.S. aircraft carrier USSS Ronald Reagan in a strike group just left the ports of um, um, Singapore. And they headed northeast towards the South China Sea. They didn't say if they was going to the Taiwan Strait, but it's coinciding with the, the, the visit to um, Taiwan with um, Nancy Pelosi. And um, China seems, and, I mean, that's not really good, you know, for that strike group to be going in that area. My second comment <clears throat> is, is attached to that is China can really, I mean, my third comment, China can really hurt. U.S. by having um, trade restrictions on the U.S., putting, like, um, sanctions on us but not shipping certain medications and certain goods here, hurting our automotive manufacturing capabilities and other things that are with medicines and things of that nature. So China can really hurt us on that because we lost a lot of manufacturing capabilities. And my last comment is this. Once the Republicans take over, if they serious the GOP, they can... I'm not saying overturn the election, but I'm saying they can look further into what happened in January of 2021. I mean, excuse me, uh, November of 2020, dealing with the uh, election on the federal side of things, looking at the different computers that was used, trying to see if anything was hacked, and basically do a proper investigation on it. Not to change the election, but to, I mean, to change to make sure no cheating would happen no more if nobody won't hack into it. If they do that and find evidence and put it out there, especially with any months taking over Twitter and and don't get taken down, if they change Section 230 where people can put out the information and the social media strikes, sites won't take it down, then, you know, they might have an easy win for 2024. You know, two years of, of uh, investigating of, diff, of January 6th and... 2020 combined and some other things, then the Hunter laptop. If you combine all that together, oh man, that'd be hell against the um the DNC. You know they won't like that. So that's my comments for the day. Great comments, thanks, Sharif. And you know you bring up investigations of hacking. A few years ago, Rod, a person who does cybersecurity told me they figured out how to make money in cybersecurity when you're dealing with the U.S. government as a client. 
And that's not to put out a cybersecurity report that tells the truth. You would think that your job as cybersecurity is to figure out who actually did the hacking if there's a hack. Does that make sense? It, it's logical, but it's not true. This expert on cybersecurity told me with the government, it's to write a report that says what they want to hear. In other words, if they're into blaming China this year, say that China did it. Because if you found out Israel did it, for instance, but they don't want to hear that, you don't get the big contracts. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, no, that that that, that, that coincides with also these, uh, we had um, Carmine talking about uh, how these science studies are done and they're backed by government money. So yeah, no, it, it all coincides. Yeah, you're right. No, and and you need to understand that right now, a lot of people are used to seeing, and one of the, the benefits of this PR is that it reinforces a PR. A lot of people see the world in terms of Democrat versus Republican, right? And that's the metaphor. And forget who they like. But if they see it as Democrat versus Republican, they don't get the way the power structure really works because that is not the real power breakdown. And some people go up a level and they see it as an ideological difference, as capitalism versus communism or socialism versus capitalism. And that is not the world either. The real split is in the elite with a PR machine, and that could be the G7, it could be NATO, it could be the World Health Organization, it could be elements of governments, because elements of the State Department go along with that, and elements of the FBI. But it is not the FBI that's, that, that's a problem. The problem is these unelected technocrats versus not. And that's all I have for you there, is the people that aren't on board with that. And that includes the Dutch farmers and the people who were protesting against the COVID restrictions and largely the Trump base. The Trump base largely disagrees and the Democrat base largely has been suckered into agreeing. Would you agree with that, Rod? It's a rather harsh assessment, but I think it's true. The Democrats, by and large, they showed that. They love the deep state. They love the war machine. They love the CIA. Whatever they say, at the end of the day, they're on board with it. Have you noticed that, Rod? Yeah, no, that's definitely become clear over the last five years. You know, they... They don't. They don't find any fault in the FBI, CIA, uh, any of these organizations. Uh, only the local. The only uh, demonize the local police when they're arresting people that they don't agree with. And and what I was saying about this guy Brian Otten, the FBI agent who worked on the Steele dossier and helped cover up. This is what Senator Chuck Grassley saying. You can look up if you Google Brian Otten, A U T E N. And Chuck Grassley, you'll see a lot of stuff Grassley said. You've seen Grassley talking about this, right, Rod? Yeah, many times, many times. He's been criticizing the FBI, FBI for years. 
And specifically, I'm going to say, it is not that Brian Otten is a rogue person inside the FBI. Do you see what I'm saying? He's not just a rogue Democrat. He is doing what that organization on one level is meant to do, which is reinforce the political system in this country and reinforce the fact that we have a corrupt political system and keep the people who are behind it safe. It's obvious there's a crime. Corruption at a presidential level, I would say, is a crime. And it's obvious Hunter Biden got that $80,000 a month job only because his dad was VP, correct? Oh, yeah, for sure. So then the question becomes, what did his dad do? Because if Hunter Biden got the job because of what his dad could do, the question for the American taxpayer is, then what did Joe Biden do? And no one's investigated that yet. No one said, well, let's see what Joe Biden did for Burisma. Everyone just takes for granted, like, oh, you, you see what I'm saying? No one's questioned seriously what Joe Biden was doing in 2014. What was he up to? Whose orders was he taking? And that's what I'm asking. And it's obvious Joe Biden is not the top of the food chain, but he's an important player. He was able to get away with certain things because he was VP. Does it make sense, Rod? Yeah, Lee, and then, you know, we're talking about the FBI. Wouldn't you say or, or would would you say yes or no that, that the fact that the FBI had a uh, office in Ukraine, the NABU, that that was pretty much to keep this whole operation, including Joe Biden and his son, on the wraps, you know, make sure it never, you know, uh, got exposed? Well, what happened was after the 2014 coup, the United States government with Ukraine— but the U.S. government was part of it, set up something called the National Anti-Corruption Bureau of Ukraine. And the FBI had an office physically in the National Anti-Corruption Bureau of Ukraine. By the way, the National Anti-Corruption Bureau has got a good website, and you can type in National Anti-Corruption Bureau of Ukraine and find it, and you'll find press releases from the FBI admitting they had an office in the NABU. And the purpose of NABU, of the FBI office, was to monitor Americans in Ukraine. So NABU was the FBI monitoring Americans. And one of those Americans, obviously, was Hunter Biden. So the FBI was monitoring what Hunter Biden was up to. And obviously, the FBI didn't find anything suspicious. However, I would say, if you found out, you know, I have a son who used to work for Sputnik. If you found out that I had arranged for Shane to be making $80,000 a month when he was working at Sputnik, you know what salaries are at Sputnik. 80 grand's crazy, right? Yeah, he's making somebody's salary in a month. So wouldn't you wonder... What the hell was going on? Just on the basis of salary. If you saw Shane's making 80 grand a month at Sputnik, wouldn't you wonder what's going on? 
Of course, of course. I mean, I don't think you know. No disrespect to Shane, but he's not a he's not a phenom. Why would he deserve eighty eighty million eighty thousand dollars a month? You know what I mean? Right, and that's what I'm saying. That amount of money, the very fact that Hunter Biden got that amount of money should have set off. You know, at the bank, if you deposit a certain amount, I forget what it is, certain thousands of dollars. If you deposit a certain amount, it triggers just that deposit. The bank has to investigate and they have to start asking some questions. Why did nothing like that happen with Hunter Biden? Well, I submit that the reason nothing happened is because his dad is Joe Biden. Do you agree? The reason the FBI didn't look into it was they know this involves Joe Biden and therefore don't ask about it. Yeah, no, I would I would definitely agree with that, Lee. I mean, you know, when we put all the when we put all this stuff together in this timeline, you know, I mean, uh, I would say at least ninety six percent of America doesn't have no idea what Naboo is and what it was purpose for, and as we just you know, put it together now. It was protecting people like Joe Biden, John Kerry's stepson, and uh, Nancy Pelosi's son while they were getting uh, salaries like this, you know, uh, people's yearly salary in a month, every month from gas And companies. among things I'm suggesting, because I asked the question, well, what was he doing for that amount of money? And if my I'm going to make a, a suggestion. I'm not saying it's definitive, but it's a suggestion, Rod. I would say one of the things that Joe Biden was tasked with doing was starting war with Russia. I would say that starting the war was actually something that Hunter Biden's payoff was meant to facilitate. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I would. I would definitely agree with that. I would. Yeah. I mean, obviously, since he took office, um, you know, I kind of look at it just to just to quickly say, just I kind of look at it. If let's just say in this alternate universe, Hillary Clinton became president. I think she would have set it off within her first three months. So, and right, and and if you say, well, Russia made the choice to invade, that's true. But Rod, if you or I were at a bar, and we look down the bar, we're sitting there drinking, and we see Mike Tyson, and I said, hey Rod, I'm going to give you ten bucks. I want you to go over and start flicking Mike Tyson. Just go stand next to him and start flicking your fingers against his throat. And let's see what happens. Okay, Rod? What do you think wait. would happen if you start you flicking wait. your finger against Mike Tyson's throat? Well, uh, you know, I would ask you to wake me up after he hits me. Right. And then I said, well, Rod wasn't doing anything. He wasn't doing anything that could have hurt Tyson. Why did Tyson have to punch him really hard in the face? Because there are some things, if you do them, they're provocation. Right? And so... I'm not saying Biden was paid to start the war, although I think if you start the war in 2014, he was. The Maidan, he was paid off in part to have a Maidan happen and put the Nazis in power and put the oligarchs in power. Because you know, there's oligarchs, admitted oligarchs like Kolomoisky everywhere in this, everywhere throughout the Ukraine war. Vladimir Zelensky was backed, everyone knows, by Kolomoisky, a known oligarch. So I would say if you're looking for a culprit, 
look to the people you know have got the money and have been trying to buy off the government. So I would say what Biden was doing and what NATO was doing was provoking Russia. And sometimes by bombing the Donbass, and sometimes I would argue in a sense, and tell me what you think about this, Rod. I would argue in a sense, Russiagate itself was a way of provoking Russia. Because think about it. Russiagate allowed the U.S. press to tell lies about Russia every single day. And if anyone tried to say, well, wait a second, where's your proof of this? They were immediately called Putin's puppet. So I would say even the provocation of Russiagate, Russiagate, in a sense, it was not necessarily an anti-Trump thing, but it was a anti-Russian propaganda provocation operation. What do you think of that, Rod? Yeah, you can just you can you you could just uh, remove Donald Trump's name and let's say it was Ben Carson. You know, look, we can look at the email, the the Pied Piper strategy. Let's say that Ben Carson would have been the Republican candidate. You know, they would have stuck Russiagate on him and some crazy narrative as well. So yeah, no, I, I agree with that, Lee. And um, just uh, you know, you talk about NATO. Uh, did you also see that uh, the new NATO chief might be uh, Mr. Bojo himself? Yes, that, that, I think that's a good choice. I think they should go with that because he's a complete suck-up. He, he, he's slurping NATO juice. That's disgusting. I don't think he wants to have a rod. But Bojo is as big a suck-up for NATO as there is. Do you agree with that? Yeah, like you said, his last trip is to Ukraine, uh, to Kiev. So, yeah, no, um, you, I would agree with you. It is fitting, but it just shows you how these how this whole thing works and how the operation's going on. They don't seem to feel any need to try to hide what they're up to. That's what I know is they don't hide what they're up to. They don't say, well, let's not put Bojo in there. That's too obvious that Bojo was representing not the people of England, but NATO and the G7 and the New World Order in general. And we've we've had people like that member of parliament from Ukraine, that lady, member of the blonde, who said she's fighting for the new world order. You have people like, remember her? Yeah, I remember, yeah, very clearly. Sometimes they come right out and say it, and but they never bothered to hide it. Notice they didn't say, no, oops, she misspoke. They just let it hang. They let her make that statement and they let her hang and they didn't feel the need to correct it because nothing's stopping them even when they admit what they're up to does that make sense rod yeah i think they believe we, they've got uh the world population i'm not even gonna say just america but the world population they got them primed and ready for whatever they you know their plans and it's all fine until sri lanka happens and i i take it that until sri lanka happens in England, or Sri Lanka happens in the Netherlands. Although they are coming close. The Dutch farmers saying is this close to a Sri Lanka type uprising. But what I mean by Sri Lanka, what I thought was unique about that one, did you notice this? The people in Sri Lanka showed complete 
disrespect for the government. I mean, swimming in the guy's pool and watching his TV, it's complete disrespect. Do you agree, Rod? Oh, yeah, 100 percently. And the one thing I noticed is that, uh, you know, they were very firm in what they wanted to do, but it wasn't. They weren't eating each other, you know what I mean? They weren't attacking each other for, for no reason. They they had one, one goal, and it was to overturn the government. And I would say in Canada, Justin Trudeau, he has he earned complete humiliation? And do you think the truckers, if they had the opportunity, would not swim in his pool? Oh, uh, Trudeau was definitely deserving of something like that, and he's he's asking for it. He's, he's actually begging for it. And we have uh, Adam Adam Sue's coming on tomorrow from from Canada. So that's great. Because who would have thought that Canada would be so important as a barometer of where the public is going? But I think it is. Canada seems like a milk toast country, but I think right now it's a harbinger of things to come, and they're a little ahead of the United States. Let's take a short break. When we come back. We'll be talking with Daniel Czar about the crazy situation involving corrupt Nancy Pelosi and China with Daniel Czar after a short break on the backstory. Backstory, 105.5 FM, AM 1390, in Washington, D.C., on the radio. Joined now by author and analyst Daniel Czar. Hey, Daniel, how you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm fine. So, make sense of Nancy Pelosi going to China. I dare you. Try, Daniel. How can <laughs> you make sense of it? <laughs> it's absolutely it's it's senseless. It's absolutely senseless. I mean, the whole purpose of of diplomacy, international strategy, uh, is to avoid getting yourself in a fix like this. But the U.S. has. I mean, essentially, the you know the, the Biden administration fears that if Nancy Pelosi doesn't go at this point, it'll look weak and it'll look like uh, China won a big victory. So therefore, you know, therefore she's got to go. But if she does go, she could wind up provoking a major crisis. So it's it, it's so it's so damn stupid. It's it's just mind boggling. Assuming one was trying to avoid a major crisis, right? That's your assumption. <laughs> no, isn't yeah? Isn't the, isn't the point? You, you you want to be in control of events. You don't want events to be in control of you. I mean, that's 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 well, the way strategy is supposed to work. I'm, I, I, I know what you're saying on a rational basis. But when I look at the recent history, isn't that what the U.S. did by provoking things with Ukraine and Russia? They've created yes. a massive situation they're no longer in control of. Right, Daniel? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, America saw uh, uh um, NATO expansion to the east as a win-win proposition, and Joe Biden was was in the lead of, of you know in terms of advancing this point of view. I mean, it could only be good. It could only have have good results. 
Uh, and even when Russia warned that NATO was going too far, the U.S. disregarded it. It said, like, you know, so they said, you know, Russia did, didn't even have standing to raise an objection. You know, it's like saying, like, you know, that, that, uh, that, 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 um, that Mexico doesn't have standing, you know, the, uh, the, to, 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 to object the next time uh, America, you know, tramples its rights in some way or other. Yeah, and so 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 Biden ignored it. Biden called Putin a killer, um, and then he uh, he kept on pressing, pressing, and pressing, and finally all hell broke loose, and we're now living with the results. Now I would say, and, and let me try to find you and see what you think. I think the collective West realized they can't control Putin. They realized that he doesn't bend to their will, so they figure. Well, a little chaos then is better than letting Putin run things. That's a possibility. What do you think of that, Daniel? Yeah, I, I suppose so. I think the um, I think the uh, there's a certain kind of nihilistic school of thought in in, uh, in Washington which holds that you know that chaos is good uh, because somehow uh, America always winds up on top. Uh, was it um? Donald Rumsfeld said, "Freedom is messy, so therefore, no matter you know, doesn't matter what kind of what kind of mess America causes, it somehow always breaks America's way. But it's uh, but it's not breaking America's way now. The situation is out of control. The global economy is crashing, um, and uh, and and a good portion of it, much of it is due to the war in the Ukraine, which the which the uh, which Joe Biden." The guy who called Putin a killer in March 2021 and thought it was uh, you know he could he could get away with it, you know. But both, but uh, Joe Biden has provoked a war, and now uh, a lot of things are coming crashing down as a consequence. Well, let me also. Did you see the recent interview with John Bolton, uh, where he talked about how Trump wasn't trying to overthrow, do a coup, but Trump was just trying to run out of the clock. And he said, I, I've done coups. <laughs> right, right. Did, did you see that with Bolton? Yeah, 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 it's amazing. Well, he, he, he admitted that they tried to do a coup in Venezuela. And let me contrast Venezuela with Russia and China. Venezuela is a very small country. And what I'm saying is Bolton and the neocons even overestimated how easy it would be to throw throw a coup in Venezuela. They can't even do a coup in Venezuela. And yet they thought, they literally thought they could get the Russian people to overthrow Vladimir Putin and destroy the economy. And they're not very good estimates of what it takes to do a coup. So when you've got countries like Russia and China as adversaries, and you're trying to overthrow them. I would say it's very difficult. And they've proven that they don't estimate how much work it takes. What do you think about John Bolton and Neocon's ability to prognosticate a coup? Well, oh, it, it, it's, it's, it's shocking. It's absolutely shocking. I mean, the U.S. thinks it has a God-given right to, to overthrow other countries, but, you know, God forbid someone should try to overthrow a uh, uh, the government in this country, uh, you know, it, it's and, and Bolton is and Bolton is a despicable figure out of the 
out of the nightmare of Washington neoconservatism. He is just a, a piece of work. But, you know, but Mike Pompeo is no better. And Mike, you know, Mike Pompeo is, is, fa- is famous for saying that, you know, at, uh, during his time as a C- as director of the CIA, we lied, we cheated, we stole, we had entire courses in how to do it. Um, but he's cheering Nancy Pelosi on also. So Pompeo, I mean, I think he offered to get in the plane with her. So, uh, so you know, so the Democrats are now in bed with the worst Washington warmongers, uh, and it's it's extraordinarily dangerous. I mean, it's like putting a it's like putting a a a, a, a crazy fourteen year old at this at the wheel of a speeding car, and 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 all we can do is hold on for dear life. And the Republicans' response is typically to say we would have been tougher. The problem is the Democrats are wimps. So you see people like Joni Ernst out there in public saying, I, w- I would have, and Republicans would have taken Russia out. They would have sent them back to Russia with a tail between their legs. And so you get r- Republicans try to prove they're tougher on Russia than the Dem- Democrats. They don't say this is a crazy policy and it was never going to work. They try yeah. to double down on that. Does that make sense to yeah. you? Yeah, I mean, actually, <laughs> I mean, the only the only peacenik we that we've had in Washington was Donald Trump, and he, of course, is, 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 is was crazy to begin with. But nonetheless, he was the only guy who 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 sort of had half an idea about the this this crazy logic that that Congress was otherwise engaging in. Um, but you're right. I mean, that's like you know, you know, both sides to compete to see who can behave more recklessly. And and the reason and and no one speaks up. I mean, even you know, where is Alexandria Ocasio Cortez? Last I heard, she was cheering on the uh, the U.S. war machine in the uh, in the Ukraine. Um, you know, I mean, the, the only voice of reason is. Is um is Henry Kissinger, and when that's the case, then God help us. Well, because I would say Henry Kissinger at his age is not trying to get a Vogue cover. AOC, right. on the other hand, you know, posing Mrs. Zelensky on Vogue right. is not Henry's idea, but AOC that sounds pretty good, depending on the shoes, yeah. you know. Yeah. And one of the games that, the, of course, Republicans play is trying to get elected versus the de- Democrats. And so what they say, what they try to convince Republicans of is that China is the Democrats' friend. They make China the enemy. Republicans do this, and they do it constantly on Fox News. China is the enemy, and they're Biden's friend. But I would say— just because Biden has shady business deals with China does not mean he's China's friend any more than the Burisma deal meant Hunter Biden was a great fan of the Ukrainian people. I think it shows he's willing to use it as a piggy bank. But do you find either party, Democrats or Republicans, is saner on China, Daniel? No. No, 
No, I think there. I think there. We have a we have a contest in the loony bin to see who can behave more irrationally and more outrageously. Uh, and and it just keeps on going and going. Uh, and now this is. I mean, let, let's step back a second. I mean, the Ukraine situation is horrible. A country of forty million people is being torn apart. Torn apart. There are something like 5 million refugees, 12 million people dis- displaced, 5 million are, are, have, have fled abroad. Uh, the, the economic damage is incalculable. Um, uh, the, and, the, and the economic spillover is, is immense. Uh, you know, there's, a, there's a, the, the, the global economy is cracking, uh, not due entirely to the war, but certainly the situation is certainly aggravated by the war. Famine is stalking the third world. Grain prices are rising, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, take all that and multiply it by about 50, okay? And that's what a comparable confrontation with China would amount to. You know, these are, these are kids nope. playing with, with lighted matches, you know, in a, uh, you know in, a, in a room filled with gasoline canisters. And so where, where do you think this is going with Pelosi? You hinted at it before, Daniel, but it's almost like the U.S. can't back down from this. They have to send uh, Nancy Pelosi. But where do you think it's going to go? I, I think the odds are that she will go through with the trip. And I think the odds are that the Chinese will then respond with a carefully calibrated but significant military escalation. And then the U.S. will feel obliged to respond in kind. And the situation in the, in the South China Sea, the, uh, the, the, the Straits of Taiwan, will grow all the more dangerous. And, 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 and at some point, it seems quite clear, there will be a spark. I mean, at some point, it's, it seems unstoppable at this point that there will be some kind of head-on collision. And I, it'll be due to the gross ir- irresponsibility of the, of the leadership in Washington. Now, what do you think is likely to happen first? Because uh, I agree, confrontation is, is going to happen. But I think it's going to be a financial, uh, a war of sanctions and embargoes. Do you think that's likely to occur first before the military? I, I think that economic tension will rise. The, the exact chemistry is unpredictable. I, I mean, you know, I, I was surprised when by Putin's invasion of, uh, of, of Ukraine. I didn't expect it. My only comfort is that I was not the only one who was caught short. Uh, but um, but this, the, the chemistry is, is unpredictable. And, and by the way, Add to this, the, 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 eco- the economic factors are really powerful. They are really setting in in a powerful way. I mean, the U.S. economy is, is in very bad shape, and the Chinese economy is actually in much worse shape. I mean, they are facing, they are staring down the, down the barrel of a major financial crisis. Their real estate sector, which Estimates are accounts for 29% of GDP is in the middle of an accelerating, intensifying meltdown. And then you have 
bank runs that are spreading across the country. Now, that's not good for peace because if you're if you're uh, Xi Jinping, that makes you all the more nervous and all the touchier and all the angrier when the U.S. gets in your way and makes things worse, tries to stir the pot. Uh, so the, 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 the chemistry is very volatile at this point. Well, let me make a cartoon metaphor here, Daniel. I'll bet it's the only cartoon metaphor you hear today. So remember Bugs Bunny and Wally Coyote and yeah, the Warner Brothers cartoons? Sure. Of okay. So remember, sometimes it would happen that one of them, usually the coyote, would run off a cliff and his legs would be pumping in the air. And he's still yeah, running. Yeah, yeah. And he's running. And then he notices that there's nothing underneath him. And then he falls. Remember those moments in cartoons? He always, he, he, he always looks at the audience and then right. gulps and then now, plummets yeah. to, the, to the canyon floor. A thousand feet below. That's exactly right. Now, the way gravity actually works is as soon as he went off a cliff, he would have fallen. He wouldn't have had to notice it. But in the cartoon world, it's not until he notices that there's no ground beneath him that he begins to fall. And you, you correctly pointed out, he looks at the audience. So I would say that is our economy. There are problems that people are aware of. And there's nothing underneath us, but they're acting as though if they don't acknowledge it, if they don't, if they act like it's not happening, they can keep pumping their legs in the air. Does it make sense, Daniel? And that we've gotten to the point where they can't deny what's going on anymore. The economy is so bad that they can no longer deny, oh, we're in trouble. Does that make, make any sense, Daniel? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and in fact, uh, today, the, the, the cover of today's, the front page of, of today's New York Times has a piece about, about, about Biden denying that a recession is on the way. And somehow he thinks that if he just like keeps up the, the happy talk, uh, the recession will, uh, won't arrive. But it's, uh, it's just not true. I mean, you know, so he's in that, he's in that first stage of Wiley Coyote. I mean, he's, he's gone off the cliff he suddenly realized this, this is, there's a thousand feet of empty air between him and the canyon floor. And, you know, and he suddenly realizes he's getting himself in trouble. So, so Joe Biden is just embarking on that process. And the current moment is why the coyote is saying recession is not two quarters of GDP going down, right? Yeah, right. I mean, that is crazy. He's trying to deny what every economist has traditionally used as a sign of recession, by definition, the GDP goes down for two quarters. What, what, what do you think, Daniel? Yes, I think I, I agree with the economic consensus. I don't agree with Joe Biden. <laughs> it brings me back to, a, to July 4th, July 2nd, actually, of, uh, of uh, 2021. When Joe, Joe Biden was in some uh, some some press conference and reporters started asking him, well, you know, what's going to happen in, uh, in the in Afghanistan? Things look really bad. What's going to happen? And and remember what Biden said? He said, "Come on, man, it's a holiday. 
I want to celebrate. You know, let's have some good news, okay? That was six weeks later, you know, Wiley Coyote crashed to the floor and left a great big splat. Um, and, uh, and, and we're seeing that process repeating itself. Uh, Joe Biden is a, Joe Biden is an, ex, an extraordinary disaster. I mean, putting him in charge of the U.S. economy was a, a, an act of stunning incompetence. And now a lot of Democrats seem to realize that. And so some of them are in the point where they're starting to look around for someone else. And they're floating people like Gavin Newsom. What do you think of potentially, well, first off, let's talk about President Harris. Two words. Let that sink in. President Harris. One word. Forget about it. Forget about it. <laughs> you know how they always run those words together? Forget about it. It ain't going to happen. I mean, I mean, she is monumentally unpopular. I find her to be incredibly, to be an incredibly irritating personality and also one who's, who's not smart, uh, does not have progressive instincts. Uh, it would be a real disaster. Uh, as for Newsom, you know, he's the guy who, who, who went to dinner at a fantastically expensive restaurant in Northern California called the French Laundry. Um, and, uh, and without a mask at the height of the, uh, at the, height of the, um, uh, the pandemic and was nearly you know, impeached as a consequence. So he's got his shortcomings as well. But I, I look at the guy, he's probably a smart guy. Uh, he certainly is in, in possession of his faculties, right? Unlike <laughs> the present occupant of the White House. So I guess the, I guess the, uh, the, uh, the Democrats are saying, well, you know, you bring in this guy, you know, he's got to be an improvement. And they're, they may be right. Uh, um, uh, it goes to show how utterly discredited the congressional Democrats are because they can't find a single person there who would who would be an acceptable candidate. So they're saying uh, maybe Gavin Newsom, Newsom will will save us from our sins. So, Daniel, what's a scenario by which you see Kamala Harris leaving? In other words, right now, if something were happening, God forbid, to Joe Biden, Kamala Harris is it. She's vice president. Yeah. So yeah. how do you see that ending? Do you see her challenging it being an open primary in 2024 on the Democrat side? Yeah, I, I don't see I don't see Kamala going quietly. Uh, not at all. Uh, that's that's my reading of the situation. I think she she wants the nomination. I think she somehow thinks she deserves the nomination. And if she doesn't get the nomination, she and her supporters will say it's because she's a black female. So the Democrats will have a really ugly mess on their doorstep. And I guarantee whatever they do to, to, to solve the problem will just make things worse. So there's a, there's a, there's very possibly a, a good sized disaster brewing there as well. Now, last time on the show, you provided us a great history of the uh, Paris Commune. So huh. you obviously studied history. <laughs> it, it, your study of history is there sometimes a calm before the storm, before revolution? Because 
this could be, I think, the sort of calm, sort of calm before the storm. In 1848, there were over 200 revolutions around the world. And we could be heading, I think, into another period like that. But is there sometimes a period like at the ocean where the water all goes out? You know what I mean? And the before, before the tidal, tidal wave, wave rush hits, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was just reading this, uh, uh, a very good history of World War I uh, called The Sleepwalkers by, I think his name is, I'm forgetting who the author's name is, but a very good book. And he describes a, uh, uh, in, in before World War I, the uh, France entered into alliance with into an alliance with Tsarist Russia, and just shortly before the war, a French diplomat visited Russia, and came away so impressed. You know, this society is the greatest society on earth, the most vigorous, the best government. The people support the Tsar a hundred percent. And a better example is in 1788. Uh, Louis the Sixteenth uh, visited, traveled from Versailles to Cherbourg on the uh, on the English Channel to inspect new harbor works. And in those days, it took him like three or four days to travel by stagecoach. And in every town he passed through, there was a festival, cheering crowds, you know, coming out to honor the king, and. Anybody who witnessed that scene would have said, whatever the troubles the monarchy might have, it'll last another century because the bond between the king and his people was so strong. OK, <laughs> that was 1788. Uh, uh, your listeners presumably know what happened in 1789. But the point is that the bond between the king and the people did not prove to be so strong after all. And and this period we're in, do you think it's, it feels to me like it's very unique. This seems like everything's accelerating. And like I say, the, the, the globalists don't seem to be even hiding what they're doing anymore. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a real, I think it's a, a, a remarkable intensification. Uh, uh, this, this has been building for years, but the pace has definitely been accelerating. Uh, and and certainly things turned a corner on February 24th with uh, with Putin's special military operation. Um, yeah, and things are getting are getting really bad really fast. And that this China confrontation, I mean, is extraordinary. Now, I mean, so maybe the worst outcome won't won't develop. I certainly hope so. But it's certainly. But I, I I'm more and more convinced that some kind of confrontation. Confrontation is awaiting us at some point down the road, uh, and yes, this is the you know the the, the 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 global structure, the American empire, uh, is 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 reaching a, a crack up, and 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 by the way, I, I mean you can, you can talk about previous crack ups, you know, in, in 1929. 1933, 1939, etc. But the world is so much bigger and so much more complex than it was 80 or 90 years ago. I mean, by many, many factors. And consequently, if, if the blow up does occur, 
the 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 consequences are are awesome. And Daniel, do you think the pace of changes is accelerating too? As you look at the world, I would say there's more changes in six months or a year now than there were between 1915 and 1916. Does that make sense? The the rate of change. Yes. Yeah. For 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 for, uh, for much for, for much of the, po- the post-war period, I mean, that you know things that the, the rate of change is very slow. The 1950s were a time of uh, uh, it was a, was were a sleepy decade, you know, and. Uh, and even in the 1960s, the, the basic political structures sort of remained unchanged. In fact, that's what drove all the, the radicals mad because America was just so basically unchangeable. Um, but there's no doubt that we have seen a, we're seeing a dramatic intensification and that after years of stability, uh, the, 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 the system is clearly coming apart at its seams, at its at its seams, and uh, and some kind of crack up is on the way. Yes, and any predictions about any predictions about you might have it might be surprising. You don't think people would expect for the way the crack up goes down. I, I, I you know I'm I'm I'm, I'm a, I describe myself as a critical optimist um, because I believe that I mean first of all progress has been very impressive, right? I mean, think of where right. you know, think of of where we were a, a, a hundred or one hundred and twenty years ago. I mean, uh, most people were poor. Uh, medicine was rudimentary. Uh, ignorance was widespread. I mean, all those ignorant, all those those immigrants who came pouring in through Ellis Island, you know, three fourths of them couldn't read. Okay, so so the um, you know, we have come a long way. Uh, I mean, we have made incredible progress, uh, and um, uh, I mean, essentially, over, over the last century, we have eight times as many people on Earth who are really living eight times better by various and, and, various. Uh, and Daniel, we are out of time, but I'm going to say okay. that an example of our age is homeless people have cell phones, and when people see that, then that says a lot, right there. Upside and downside technology. Daniel, great conversation as usual. Daniel's our weekly worker.uk.co.uk. Okay, there's Daniel Zar. And thanks so much to all the callers. We'll be back tomorrow on the backstory.